0: This is a no-fluff podcast created for busy women. We are Bailey and Brianna. We are dedicated to helping women break up with dieting and rethink the way you look at food, sharing the real secret to fat loss, learning how your body actually works.
1: Our goal is to give you the tools that you need to navigate BS diet culture and empower you to feel confident with your food choices so that you can sustainably reach your goals.
0: Take a quick sip and welcome to Mocktail Minutes.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mocktail Minutes. This is Bailey. And this is Brianna. So we have our mocktail every episode, every Thursday. Today I'm drinking, it's called Sound. I found it on Thrive Market. It's the blood blood orange vanilla black tea. Pretty tasty, not too bad. So fun option for you there. What are you drinking, Brianna?
0: I have recess. I don't know if I'm just like late to the game and this is like a popular thing. I don't know, but it has magnesium and adaptogens in it. It's supposed to like calm your mood. I don't really know if it works, but. It's fun. It tastes good. It's a
1: good one because tonight we're filming a little later. Usually we do Monday mornings, but we're doing, we're doing a night episode. So a little calming drink.
0: (laughs) Calm myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we are actually doing a two episode launch today. So we have our first episode is on blood sugar control and what you can do to help manage your blood sugar just beyond the food. But as our little bonus episode today, we have Kara with us to talk more about blood sugar. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Kara. Yeah, I'm Karen, one of your fellow
2: metabolism makeover coaches, and I'm also a certified diabetes care and education specialist. So I've been in the field of looking at blood sugars for about 14 years now. So I just get really excited to talk about blood sugar balance and all the things that can impact it that even go beyond food. When Brianna was talking about her adaptogenic drink or aptogen she's drinking, for Mother's Day, my husband got me this really cool it was almost like a kombucha, but it was made with reishi and a whole bunch of different mushroom blends. It tasted like a cola drink. Mm-hmm. But that was really fun. I think it was called like GT's Alive. Have you guys seen the GT kombucha brand? I mm-hmm. have not.
1: I'll have to look at them.
2: Yeah. So he found it at, I'm in the Midwest. So he found it at a high V, but mm-hmm. it had some erythritol, but it didn't have any added sugars, but it tasted very much like a cola. And it was made with mushrooms. So if you're looking for more adaptogen drinks, that could be another one to add to your list.
1: Yes, I love that. And you posted, didn't your husband get you an array of different drinks for Mother's Day? Yeah, a whole bunch of different kombuchas. That's so awesome. it's
2: <laughs> wild as I get these days. and So I <laughs> drink them super often, but
1: I do really enjoy them. Yeah, that's so fun. He knows the way to your heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: Yes. So we're going to kind of jump in. We have some questions that we had some Instagram followers ask us that they wanted to know from you. So I guess the first question would be kind of jumping into this. I have recently worn a CGM and I messaged you a lot about it. So do you want to just kind of talk about when maybe the right time is to try out a CGM? Maybe who it would be good for?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, it's a device that you wear in your arm and it measures the glucose that's in your interstitial fluid, which follows the same path as your blood glucose, but it's a little further behind it. So I think before you wear it for anybody, I think it's good to understand that a blood glucose value versus a sensor glucose value, if you were to check them at the same time, they'd always be slightly different. I bring that up because I get this question a lot. So if you are someone who needs to, you know, monitor blood sugars for health reasons. So if you have diabetes or gestational diabetes, something along those lines, oftentimes people might feel like, oh, it's not accurate, but it's just because there's a little bit of a lag time. So To answer your first question, anybody who wears one, I feel like you just need to be well-educated on how it functions and what it's actually measuring so that you're not going into it feeling completely blinded. I also feel very strongly that somebody has to be a little bit further on their health journey to wear a continuous glucose monitor. I don't think it's for everybody to just go out and get one unless you have a little bit of an understanding what might impact your blood sugars. And then again, if you've had some training on the actual device itself and what it is you're looking at, because otherwise it's like, you know, what does this number mean? Why did it spike? There's so many factors that could impact it that if you can't kind of decipher some of that, then it might not be beneficial. Right.
0: It might not really give you any information you can use. That's a good mm. point.
1: Yeah. So, and I think, oh, go I ahead. I think Mia. it's to where knowing kind of what you're looking at too is helpful. And that's where like having a dietitian in your back pocket is going to be beneficial because I think it would be kind of nerve wrecking to start wearing a CGM. and have no idea what these numbers even mean. And even for me, like I did become a little obsessed with it just because I was curious. It wasn't like an unhealthy type of obsession, but I would be on it just like staring at my blood sugar <laughs> after meals. Um, yeah, like just looking to see what was happening. So I think it is important to know what's going on and something that like I knew in my head, but I I wasn't thinking about it when I put it on, I freaked out because I was like, there's a needle in my arm. It's not actually a needle. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) the needle does not stay just for everyone. So everyone knows.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just like a little, I explain it as it's basically a little eyelash. That is under your skin. The needle is only there to insert the the little eyelash so it can get your your interstitial glucose values. But it's a good point. There's a lot of people that have fear about a needle being in the arm. It's not just
0: you, Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> and your video was funny. The reel you took of you like putting it in. Like you were so hyped up, and then you're like, oh, it's done. Like
1: it was <laughs> it was so dramatic and ridiculous. And I try to do it to myself and I was like, I cannot do it. I was like, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to pass out all just trying to do this. So I had to have my boyfriend do it for me. I did not even feel it go on until I looked at my arm and saw it sticking there. Like, okay, now I'm going to (laughs) puke.
0: So one of the reasons why people would wear one is to kind of like gauge their blood sugar, like how well their body is balancing blood sugar, what certain foods do what to your body, all that good stuff. So obviously after a meal, your blood sugar is going to rise. You're putting sugar into your body. So what is a typical range you would see after a meal? What would you consider a normal type of blood sugar spike? And maybe for how long from baseline, I guess I should say, because every specific numbers are different for everyone.
2: Yeah. So if you are using a baseline, it depends on truly what your starting point is, and what your goals are. So if you're somebody who feels like you don't have any glucose intolerance issues, you don't have diabetes, you're really doing this to make sure you have optimal function with your blood sugars, then I would say you shouldn't have more than a 30 point rise kind of throughout the day. So if you started at 80, then ideally, you might not spike above 110 after your meal. I can tell you from personally wearing a CGM and then working with CGMs a lot, I think statistically like 85% of the population has some metabolic dysfunction. And so blood sugars, when you have metabolic dysfunction are going to be impacted. So if you have any of that, like, I think keeping a range of 30 can be really hard. I would say for a lot of people, if they can keep their spike to 40 or 50 or less, or just 40 or 50, like. Throughout the entire day as far as how your blood sugars move, that would probably still be very well controlled. And then obviously if you're somebody with some known glucose intolerance, I think you have to look at all things like you do on spectrum. If you're someone who is maybe spiking 80 points with meals at a starting point, your goal might just be can I get to a 60 point spike or, you know, eventually a 50 point spike as my end goal. So
0: yeah, it just depends on a person's starting point. Yeah. I think that's important to mention because people always want exact numbers and it's like, it's everyone's different. So is there foods that you see like clients and patients react very differently to? Like, I feel like one of these is corn. I feel like corn is like the one that I know, know of the most, like some people have really high spikes and then some people don't. So like, what are some foods that may be considered like, Oh, don't do it. That (laughs) might not impact people. Like we think it does.
2: Yeah. You know, it, This is just so across the board. I would say bananas are something that I hear a lot of people have a fear around like, oh, I can't eat bananas and really any fruit along those lines where sometimes they'll wear a CGM and recognize that, oh my gosh, that food didn't spike me as much as I thought it would. You can also have the opposite. Like you mentioned corn last summer, I remember wearing one and it really depended on how I ate the corn, how much of a spike I would have. So I could easily spike my blood sugars 60 to 70 points from eating corn, which is a lot higher than what my goals are. But I could also eat corn just fine if I front loaded with a bunch of soluble fiber and had you know protein and fat and other things with it. And of course, activity levels played a role in that too, depending on what activity was before and after. So that's a hard question to answer because there's so many factors that can go into it. And even just circling back to your original question, like what should a person's blood sugar be after a meal that because there's so many things that can factor into it, like a woman's cycle, what your stress levels are, what your sleep was the night before, how you moved throughout the day, that even when you wear a CGM, I think you have to be very aware that it might not just be the food.
1: Right. That's an important point. And even when I was wearing my CGM, it was funny. Well, funny looking back, not funny at the time, but I actually had a panic attack while I was wearing it. And so when I was looking at the graph, it honestly, if you have ever been a six flags, it looked like the Mr. Freeze ride where my blood sugar just went like straight up. I was like, oh my gosh, more than ice cream, literally more than anything I ever ate, a panic attack increased my blood sugar the most.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. That's so true. Like I, when I've worn one, I've even seen that with like we get so used to just accepting that we have daily stress. So every morning when I get my kids out the door for school is always a rush. And I mean, every morning when I would have that CGM on, I would have a spike and it would be nothing to do with what I ate.
0: I've literally started breathing techniques during the morning for that exact reason. i <laughs> I'm like, I know. Like my blood sugar is through the roof, like trying to get the kids out the door. So yeah, that kind of brings us to another question and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what besides, cause people I think are so focused and you probably see this a lot cause you work with people with diabetes, but they're so focused on just foods and there's so many other things that impact your blood sugar. So do you want to touch yeah. on any more of those? I mean, I know you kind of listed them, but
2: yeah, well, I mean, we can even start with, you know, when you mentioned the breathing exercises, one of the benefits to wearing a CGM is across the board, I think that we can hear that stress impacts our blood sugars or, you know, we can hear that, okay, it helps to eat fiber before your meal, before you eat the rest of your carbohydrates. But there is really a lot of power in seeing those numbers yourself and how you you personally respond to it. So other factors that you know, just to touch on the stress and you're asking what else can really impact blood sugars besides food. Stress is huge. And I loved that when you brought up the breathing techniques. So there's been lots of research that has been documented in practices of yoga and meditation and how powerful things like yoga and meditation can be to lower a person's overall baseline blood sugar. Other things would be if you have sleep apnea, I can't tell you the number of people that are like, oh, I don't sleep well. I don't sleep well. And, you know, we get them to wear their CPAP machine and all of a sudden their blood sugars just drop 15 to 20 points without them changing anything else. And it's because, again, like your body is stressed out when you're not breathing well. Yeah. So that can be huge. You know, I think the thing too, is like when we have metabolic dysfunction, which is what type two diabetes is, right? It's a form of metabolic dysfunction. The other thing I I think that it's really powerful to know is your goal when you're trying to address these blood sugars is really how do you get to the root cause, which is insulin resistance. And what are all of the things that you can do to improve insulin resistance, which it takes time, like that takes a lot of lifestyle modification. Sometimes it's looking at mineral intake. can't tell you how much this is overlooked. We focus so much on macros. So, you know, what's your protein, carb, fat, you know, what are you eating there? But we don't look at, are they getting enough magnesium or potassium on a daily basis? Because those minerals are very powerful in your cellular metabolism. And so that is still food related, but I think that gets overlooked because we don't zero in on that.
0: It's not the typical, like your macros and you're like, how much magnesium are you eating? (laughs) What's,
1: mm-hmm. what's magnesium? <laughs> yeah. We got to remember those micros too. And another thing that is kind of weird with blood sugars, doesn't alcohol affect our blood sugars? kind of weird where it will make our blood sugar decrease. But then also if we're having like a really sugary drink, it's going to affect it too. And then even I've read like the next day, you can have lower blood sugars in the morning, which can give you that more that hangover feeling where you just feel even worse. <laughs> Yeah,
2: absolutely. So it's funny that you mentioned the alcohol because sometimes I'll have these people that really like their nightcap and they're like, I need to do this because when I have my nightcap, I have lower blood sugars in the morning. And the way I explain that is when our body is detoxing, it can't focus on making sugar. And part of our liver's role is to also make glucose or sugar for us. So basically when you first start drinking, it spits out like whatever little stores of glucose that you might have, but then it doesn't make anymore until it completely detoxes or gets through most of the detox of the alcohol. So yeah, you can end up having low blood sugars anywhere from like four to six hours later is oftentimes what I'll see with people, but you have to realize the bigger impacts of that too. So like alcohol disrupts sleep. So then long-term we know poor sleep can actually raise again, your baseline blood sugars. So It's one of those kind of like fad diets. I always say you can see a potentially a short-term fix when it comes to your blood sugars. But long-term, you're probably not doing your body any benefits by routinely drinking alcohol to lower it.
1: Yeah, it's probably not a good practice to get into. Yeah. And just like all the other things that alcohol does to your body, I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah, it definitely affects your blood sugar and kind of going along with this. So we ideally want to keep our blood sugar kind of between 60 and one hundred and twenty, correct? Like when we're looking yeah. at CGM.
2: Yeah. Yep. If you have optimal metabolic
1: function, those are great numbers. Mm-hmm. So if someone is not wearing a CGM, how can you kind of gear if you're in the right range?
2: So you can feel it sometimes. So if you have big swings, I think you can notice a difference. So if your blood sugar drops really quickly, sometimes even if it's not low, people will feel maybe a little bit shaky or they'll just notice that, you know, they're more irritable. Maybe they feel tired or they have an energy crash when their blood sugar drops fast. Indigestion. So I know people have said that, oh, I noticed like their heartburn will flare up when they have big blood sugar spikes and swings. So. Yeah, but then you also have to know that some people are so out of tune with their body or we just think that, okay, we can have mood swings or we don't have good energy because of a poor night's sleep that sometimes it's easy to miss some of those like signs that you might be having. There's a reason why like diabetes or high blood sugars or, you know, fatty liver disease, which is all this like metabolic dysfunction, right? It's the reason why it's sometimes called like a silent killer because sometimes we just don't
1: really feel it. And then sometimes we do when we have big swings. Yeah. Yeah. I think usually when my, when I can feel like getting low, I get pretty shaky. And it was funny when I was wearing the CGM and I was like, I'm kind of hungry, but I ate like two hours ago. I'm not usually hungry. And I looked at my blood sugar. I was like, Oh, my blood sugar is dropping pretty quickly. So I would get (laughs) like hungry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's another good way to gauge it. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for people to judge it because we, like you said, we're really out of tune with how our body works and how we should feel. And most people think it's bad to feel hunger or, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, see, you know, don't feel hungry. Like, push through it. You're not hungry. Or, like, curb your appetite with like this supplement or whatever. So it's it's hard to like really gauge. Okay, is my blood sugar too high? Is it too low? If you're kind of out of tune mm-hmm. with how your body and like your normal hunger cues. Yeah, absolutely. I will
1: say too, sometimes I kind of, when I'm talking to clients and everything, I compare it to, if you were to go to Olive Garden, you have breadsticks, you have a big bowl of pasta, and then you come home and you're like, I need a two hour nap. That means you probably overdid it on the carbs. Like you get to feel really
0: tired too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think this might, this might be one of our last ones, unless you have anything to add, but I know this gets asked a lot. So what can cause like low sugar dips during the night? Yeah. Like I get this question a lot. Are people are constantly like waking up in the middle of the night and like, well, why is my blood sugar dipping? Like what can do that? And what can you do to help it?
2: So that's a great question. There again are several different factors, but one of the things that I'll most commonly see is actually under eating carbs during the day. So you know, if you never eat carbs or you have a very strict low carb diet, then that can definitely factor in. So if you people add like a starchy carb or some form of carbs to every single meal, oftentimes that will help to stabilize it out. Another factor that I'll see as far as like, you know, evening dips would be if people are trying to fast for too long. So I know people will talk about doing like a 12, 14, 16 hour fast. And, you know, our blood sugar is meant to kind of ebb and flow. And so when it dips down our liver is like our safety mechanism and it will kick in gear and make glucose for us at night. That's why People can go days without eating because their body is still getting forms of glucose, but we don't necessarily want it to always dip down like that. We like to have some reserves put in. And so even just looking at supper and maybe doing a few more carbs at supper or shortening that fasting window can make a big difference activity levels. So maybe somebody is like, okay, I eat carbs throughout the day. I don't fast for more than 10 to 12 hours. Sometimes if you have days where you're super active, again, you're going to burn through those carbs faster because it's carbs are quick energy. So that could be another thing that needs to be analyzed as far as, you know, maybe altering that. Another thing that can be really beneficial is you know, remembering that we talk a lot about carbs, but fat really is the best blood sugar stabilizer. So if you are someone who is prone to having low blood sugars at night, then having a snack that contains 10 to 15, 20 grams of fat before bed, along with maybe a little carb can really just help to like slow down how quickly your body is going to digest that without getting that dip throughout the night.
1: I really liked dates and peanut butter or dates and cream cheese, kind of like a before bed type of snack and just having a few of those. And I found that to be helpful, mm-hmm. but that is something that I have seen a lot of people where, like, I am sleeping terribly. So then they start working on their blood sugar management just through changing up their meals during the day. And they're like, now I'm sleeping. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it's because our liver is essentially waking us up with our blood sugar dropping.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just another reason why low, low carb is not great guys.
2: Yes. And actually speaking of that, again, like there are so many studies on low, low carb that if you are someone that has diabetes or known glucose intolerance long-term, it typically makes your blood sugars worse and -hmm. you get more volatility with your blood sugars because you lose some of that metabolic flexibility and we alter our gut biome. So we have to remember a lot of carbs contain prebiotics, which are going to feed our good gut bacteria. And if we alter that, we're not getting enough of that, then it's going to, again, long-term down the road, we're going to probably see worse results than what we're striving for.
1: Do you have kind of on the low end recommendation of how many carbs people should aim to get for at least in a day?
2: Yeah. And, you know, because of how our body works, I always say it's really more per meal and there's always some individualization here, but I would say at the end of the day, if you are not probably getting in like at least close to 100 grams of carb for most people, you're probably doing your body a little bit of disservice. And that's even still on the low end. You know, again, there's some different things that can factor into that. And that's total carb. That's not just starchy carb. So I think we have to remember that this isn't necessarily have to be all starchy carbs,
1: but mm-hmm. yeah. And then yeah. kind of thinking like per meal too. I think I've read before it's like 60 grams is kind of that high end threshold. If usually what our body can handle.
2: Yeah. Yep. I usually tell people that anywhere between, again, depending on activity level, anywhere between like 20 to like 30 grams of carb is probably good on the lower side for most. And then yeah, 60 grams as an upper end, unless you're super, super active. Most of us more than that. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Me either.
1: Yeah. I'm, be. I'm not Here's another question. <laughs> yeah. I, I try to be, it just doesn't work out. I'm not an athlete anymore. It's, it's fine. <laughs> like, what are your thoughts? Cause I know a lot of people, if you want to share your thoughts on like fruit, carrots, potatoes, because there's a lot on social media where like, don't eat fruit, don't eat blueberries, don't eat carrots. Cause they're too high in sugar. I don't agree with that. <laughs> what are your thoughts there? Carrots. Yeah, I 100% agree with not agreeing with
2: that. (laughs) And because we were touching base earlier on just the importance of micronutrients, I think statistically I was reading that 96% of the population, we are deficient in potassium. And this is really potassium that's available to us at a cellular level and all the foods that you just mentioned. So I say the biggest sources of potassium are fruits, roots, so potatoes, beets, winter squash, and probably dairy. But those are like the three biggest things where we get the highest amounts of potassium. And again, if we're not getting those good minerals, then we can have worse blood sugars because not everything's going to be available at a cellular level. And that impacts insulin sensitivity, how magnesium is going to function because magnesium and potassium really like each other. (laughs) So yeah, um, if that's a little bit of science. Fruits and roots are awesome for micro minerals. So if we cut them out, again, yeah, not yeah. a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I've kind of seen people too where they get scared to almost eat the blueberries. So then they're choosing like some high fiber cracker. I'm like, no. If you're choosing between a high fiber cracker and berries, I would go for the berries if that's so what you really want. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that too. Not only yeah, not only is that's what you want, but there's so much more nutrients. Mm -hmm. in foods like whole foods, fruits. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think when we got really into counting macros and I mean, there's so many fad diets too, like Octavia or ideal protein where we get so used to eating these packaged foods that are supposed to be fortified with all these nutrients. And then it fits into this perfect little macronutrient box that it just pulls us so far away from being connected to the whole foods and understanding like, you know, what it does
0: for us. So yes, eat your fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Yeah, Don't be afraid of them. And don't be one of those people that think I don't need carbs because my body makes carbs. Don't do that. You'll feel better Uh, if you eat carbs. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So this was really insightful. Thank you so much. I know this is like you know, blood sugar is like one of those things where I don't know. I just feel like it's getting more and more popular, which is fantastic because people are starting to think about their blood sugar before they need to per se. (laughs) So, but I also know that like continuous glucose monitors, some people think like you absolutely have to have one. So yeah, in the beginning, like if you don't know what you're doing with it.
2: Yeah, probably not great for you. There's other things too that like people could ask for without having to wear something. So I'm a big fan of getting a fasting insulin level. If you suspect that you have some metabolic dysfunction, that'll give you some good insight into maybe what your insulin resistance levels are. And you don't need a CGM for that. Yeah, so absolutely.
1: This was super helpful. Thank you for answering all of our questions. Is there anything else you want to add or anything we missed? No, I
2: mean, this is a complex topic, so we could go on and on. But yeah. I have a really good little taste of some of the things to maybe consider when it comes to blood sugar management. So yeah, all right. thanks for this. It was fun. This is yeah. my first podcast. You guys. You did took, great. <laughs> yeah, you did awesome.
1: No, Thank you for coming on. And do you want to share too where people can find you and connect with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right now, the best way to connect with me is through social media. So at Real Diggs Nutrition, my name's Kara and I'd love to see people pop over to my page and ask me questions if they have any blood sugar ones that come up. Yes.
1: All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining and I hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode. Feel free to ask any questions over on Instagram to any one of us and we'll point you in the right direction and get them answered. All right. We'll see you guys next week short sips
0: and to the point. Thank you for joining mocktail minutes. Be sure to subscribe and follow to keep up with the latest episodes. You can find us on Instagram at new crew nutrition and the mama nutritionist. If you have a topic you want to learn more about, send us a DM. See See you you next week. week.